the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. As we continue through the 2021 hurricane season, we wanted to do something different with this week's episode and air a recent episode of Public Power Conversations with Joy Ditto, wherein APPA's president and CEO interviewed Amy Zubali, Executive Director of the Florida Municipal Electric Association, and Danette Scudder, Executive Vice President of Member Services and Strategic Relations for the Tennessee Valley Public Power Association about public power emergency response and mutual aid. I think this was a valuable conversation and one worth continuing to share. If you'd like to keep up with future episodes of Public Power Conversations with Joy Ditto, you should subscribe on YouTube and access previous and future episodes at publicpower.org slash conversations. With that, here's the recent episode of Public Power Conversations. Welcome to this episode of Public Power Conversations, where today we're talking about mutual aid. Mutual aid is a term of art, maybe for folks outside of the industry, but really it means that when there's a problem, we help each other out in the public power utility community, especially when it comes to major disasters or other unforeseen circumstances. We send crews to help each other out, and we're going to learn a lot more about that today. And so joining me is Danette Scudder of the Tennessee Valley Public Power Association and Amy Zubali of the Florida Municipal Electric Association. Welcome, ladies. And I'm I'm just going to jump into some questions, and I really want to hear from you. So let's go for that. And I am going to refer to notes in this situation. So first of all, tell me how, you know, tell me and tell the folks listening and watching how you got involved in mutual aid work. So part of FMEA's core responsibilities, we serve as a statewide trade association for Florida's 33 public power utilities. And one of our core responsibilities and primary member services is to serve as the mutual aid coordinator for all of our members. And that is both when we are in need of crews, which more than often is, is the case since we are so prone to hurricanes, but it's also when other states or other communities need crews, they call an FMEA and we reach out to our members and, and send them that way. Um, through the American Public Power Association's Mutual Aid Working Group, um, FMEA in particular myself serve as that statewide mutual aid network coordinator through that group. Awesome. Danette, how did you get involved? Well, uh, TVPPA is a little different in terms of our, our footprint and scope. Um, and we serve seven states, uh, and that means that our, our scope is a little broader from that standpoint. We also serve 153 members, and that's a mix between municipals and cooperatives. And so our engagement tends to be on a widespread event within the region when uh, some of our members are outside of their uh, their depth in terms of being able to reach out to their neighbors and those within their respective networks to get assistance. Now, how I personally got involved in it is I was voluntold. Uh, <laughs> in my almost 20 years at TVPPA, I've, I've worn many hats, but one of them was um, one that I did not anticipate. And that's been about 12 years ago, one of my former coworkers who was responsible for mutual aid said, hey, there's an ice storm. Why don't you come help me with this? And so from that point forward, I would say the rest is history because uh, he he told me after the fact that part of the reason he asked me to help was because of organizational skills. And so I'm sure something <laughs> we'll get into later in the conversation is the imperative of having organizational skills as well as communication skills 
uh, when you're trying to coordinate this kind of mutual aid and response. So I am not um, as actively involved in the mutual aid coordination, the tactical boots on the ground coordination as I once was, but it is still a piece of my heart in public power because I believe so full-heartedly so full in it. And so um, I, I've kind of had an interesting journey in my mutual aid involvement. You sort of had trial by ice storm rather than trial by fire <laughs> in that initial... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, so that's great. Uh, so thank you for, for that overview of kind of how you all are, what you're doing in your uh, groups, as well as your, your involvement specifically. So again, let's get a little bit more into, for, for those folks who don't know as much about mutual aid and the process of mutual aid, can you talk about what's involved in the decision to request or offer mutual aid to other utilities? And let's start this time with Danette and then go to Amy. Well, as I alluded to earlier, part of that is at the local level, the decision making to say, you know, we don't have the resources here, or even if we have agreements with our neighbors to provide resources, depending on how widespread the storm is, you know, we need to reach out for help. And right. so there's kind of what we, we look at as the ripple effect. And so you have the rings on the pond in terms of how far mm -hmm. out you can get and, and determining where and who to ask. And so it, at the point at which a storm is so widespread or the needs are so intense, we'll determine when our members reach out to us mm -hmm. as opposed to their neighboring utilities or their own network. So Amy had um, referred to the Mutual Aid Working Group through APPA, and we have similar relationships within the Valley, but certainly that is a much um, broader network of support. Mm. And it is very situational. It is very storm specific, um, as are the nuances of the kind of support that is requested and the types of matchmaking that we do. Uh, mm. And that that's part of not only that organization, um, or the organizational skills, but an understanding of what is going to be a good match in terms of skills and resources and capacity. So it's knowing the folks that you support, knowing the utilities you support, uh, and sort of what their resources are and helping to, to make that match. So Amy, do you want to expand upon that or talk about how, what, how you see it from your perspective in Florida? Yeah, I can add maybe just a little bit on onto that because um, where, where for Danette and Tennessee, probably their primary um, reasons for mutual aid are probably more uh, tornado focused. For Florida, it's more hurricane focused. It's not to say that Tennessee doesn't also get residuals from hurricanes, and it's not to say that we don't also have tornadoes that impact us, but I, I'd say our, our core responsibilities are probably focused more on those storms, and like Danette said, it is it is a matchmaking process. Um, you play a matchmaking game, and it's it's a lot of organization and um, and information gathering, and sometimes, um, you know, while, while hurricanes can result in widespread, massive mutual aid deployments, we've called out utilities from around the country. And um, sometimes they're um, a little bit, um, I don't want to say easier, but um, you have a little bit more of a lead time leading into a hurricane where if you have a tornado and it impacts instantaneously, you're trying to get resources immediately. And if that storm is still moving across, you have to figure out, okay, what are my closest resources that I can get in in the quickest amount of time that aren't also waiting for their own impacts from the storm because no one's going to send 
any crews as long as they're still under threat of any type of storm impact. So um, for us, for hurricanes, once any of our, if our state or particularly any of our members are um, projected to be in that cone of, of uncertainty, we'll call it, um, once it kind of gets narrowed down, we get all of our members on a call immediately. And it's a difficult decision for them because you're weighing out a lot of unknown factors. Hurricanes change rapidly. They intensify, they um, they shift, and, and they can do that at moment's notice. And so our members try to determine based on the strength and where they are in, in proximity to that center of that cone of, of uncertainty, we'll call. And then they have to decide if they want to go ahead and start securing resources in advance of that storm coming, or if they want to wait and determine um, impacts once it passes, but that creates a, a fine line against what customers want and what they want to see as soon as storms pass and once they're out of power. So it's a it's a lot of moving parts and pieces that have to put together of a puzzle. I can imagine. Um, so, you know, you already kind of hit on one of my next questions, which is kind of the response differing depending on the kind of storm. Um, so, you know, does that also affect sort of how far away you dispatch? I can imagine it does. And maybe how far away have you actually dispatched resources from Florida or from Tennessee um, to other places, kind of far-flung places, depending on the storm, depending on the impacts, of course. But we do, do either, why don't we start with Amy this time? Sure. Um, and Florida's probably getting a little bit different because we are a peninsula state. So we are only connected to the other states at our, at our northern part. And so just from where I'm located in Tallahassee to go all the way down to, to Key West, it's about an 11 hour drive for me. So where we have dispatched crews the farthest, while um, we have had some crews that went up to Superstorm Sandy many, many years ago, and we had some that went up into New York just over this past year, you know, if we send Key West over to Louisiana, that's um, in many cases farther than it would be if we sent Jacksonville to New York. And so we did send Key West over to Louisiana this past year. Um, in 2017, following Irma and Maria, we deployed crews to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got involved in logistic coordination on barges and sending over trucks. Um, so we've, you know, wherever there's, wherever there's a need, We've used it so many times. All of our members are very willing and wanting to go and, and pay it back and pay it forward for the next time that we're going to need it again. That's that's a great point. And, and Amy, I think when you, you and I were talking about this earlier, uh, I was talking about if you've ever drove into Florida and like down Florida, you we recognize how long, how big of a state it is, how long of a state it is. And then it's actually uh, quite quite deceptive when you're looking at it on a map. But Danette, did you want to add to that? I mean, how far away you sort of sent some of your crews from the TVPPA region? Well, well, certainly uh, we also sent crews during uh, Superstorm Sandy. So up in, um, I, I was actually just going through my files prior to this so that I could accurately quote dates um, and, and locations. But uh, certainly the very first deployment we had was to Delaware. Uh, during that storm, but went up to New York as well. And then, and then for us, because we're a long state as well, we're just the long state. Yeah. Um, Horizontal rather than. If we have our members in Northeast Tennessee, almost Virginia, and send them to Louisiana or Texas, uh, you're still looking at a very long distance. And to kind of build on um, part of Amy's answer to the previous question in terms of deciding when and where and who. Um, and, 
and the type of storm, there are so many variables that go into that decision-making. And if it's an ice storm, for example, which may be predicted, but the travel conditions are treacherous perhaps in a larger area. And so you have to take that into account. And Amy was talking about staging. Well, if you anticipate ice storms also change because the weather does what the weather does. And, and so how do you make those determinations? And if there are fuel challenges or if there, and this is something that the APPA mutual aid working group and our relationship with APPA um, and DOE and um, ESF 12 and, and all of those relationships that have been cultivated over the last few years, that's why they're so important. So if you need a governor to waive some sort of transportation block for crews to come in, then these are all lessons that we learned tenfold during Superstorm Sandy in particular. So a lot of the things that we do differently now are as a result of all of the things that we learned from sending crews so far away um, during that particular storm. And, and so in a tornado, so certainly Amy is best versed, unfortunately, in hurricanes. We are pretty well versed in tornadoes, which again, even if they're predicted um, to occur, you have no idea where their path is going to be or the severity of it. And so my first, I cut my teeth on an ice storm and then I had a tornado. And, and, and so all of the things that you have to take into consideration, not only in the pre-planning, but the actual execution when mutual aid is requested, uh, make each storm unique. Uh, and all of the considerations, and even those that are willing to help. Now, what what I have um, observed over time is that those utilities for us that maybe haven't experienced an event in years and years and years, and their plan is pretty dusty, um, once they are impacted and they receive the help, they are much more willing to go mm -hmm. and help. Mm -hmm. because you understand and truly appreciate the significance of the family, the community that public power represents, and that those who are coming to assist you are going to do whatever they have to do to bring your customers back. And it is just this, uh, it's something that we as utilities don't toot our own horn enough because we take a great deal of pride in keeping the lights on and getting them back on with not a lot of fanfare. But that is something that has one of been the biggest lesson learned for me as part of this process is the significance of that partnership, that network, and that feeling of community. That's there's a lot. There's so much that you guys both just said in your in your uh, response to this question, and I want to dig in it to a couple. We're we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but I want to just kind of hit on a couple of things you just said in particular, Danette. But um, one is, you know, you alluded to our partnership with the federal government, Department Department of Energy, and when they have their, they call, um, and it's like an emergency function, right? And so how do we partner with, we've partnered with them uh, more heavily since, particularly since Hurricane Sandy, Superstorm Sandy, however you want to couch it, um, because of some of this, you know, these cross interstate things that the federal government could really help um, remove some of the barriers, right? So that's just wanted to kind of hit on that. Um, and that's been a good partnership. And I think it also helped us in something we haven't talked about, which is the pandemic, which we, even though it wasn't tradition, it was not traditional mutual aid. I think we called on that network a lot um, when, when we just needed to work through some things. And then there's this broader pan and industry network that, um, you know, that we also use in responding to the pandemic and that we also use in responding to the storms. 
and I think more so in recent years. I, I, I would say that, you know, you're trying to talk about the concentric circles of the storm itself and sort of how far you want to deploy. But there's also that I think we have these deep relationships with the public power community and oftentimes contractual relationships, which we probably don't have time to get into too much, but, you know, kind of pre-staging some of those contractual relationships can help when it comes to reimbursement and things like that. Um, but then we also have these broader relationships with the rural electric cooperatives, which Danette, I know you have those in your membership. Uh, Amy does not, but has relationships in Florida and with the investor and utilities. So um, we've, you know, I think worked and maybe you can hit on that for one, one 30 second, you know, spot uh, about how that relationship goes. So once it's beyond the public power community, when, when there's someone who just desperately needs your help, do you just say, no, I'm not going to help you? Or do you, you say yes? And how does that kind of work? And how has that worked maybe better um, might be helpful to, for the folks uh, listening and watching to understand who wants to take that one first. I can I can start on that one. Um, a great question, and and yes, you know, while public power is its own first responders for the most part, and co-ops are their own first responders, and same with IOUs, we serve as our own first responders. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't cross those lines and haven't crossed those lines and gone and helped each other when needed. Um, all public power operates under the same uh, mutual aid agreement through APPA. Co-ops operate under that same mutual aid agreement through NRECA. So that's an easy swap back and forth. We already have those agreements in place. And so if a co-op is in need um, and none of our members um, are have any other needs and all of uh, requests are filled, then we can very easily send crews to co-ops operating under that same agreement. It gets a little trickier with an investor in agreement. Uh, Mutual aid, their, their agreements are very different. In Florida, following our 2016 hurricanes, um, our governor charged us with trying to come up with some sort of at least a statewide mutual aid agreement with our investor in utilities. Um, it was not an easy process. Um, we did come up with something, and at least um, I can say that, that public power in Florida currently has mutual aid agreements in place with each of the investor in utilities in Florida. Um, as well as with all of the co-ops nationally. And they have been used reciprocally um, over the past four years. Okay, that's great. So, Danette, did you want to add anything to that one? I do. And, you know, I don't want to attribute everything to Superstorm Sandy, but certainly the public scrutiny and the um, executive level scrutiny in Washington that came as a result of that storm and what I have seen through the Electric Sector Coordinating Council, which is executives from all three of those groups, um, you know, cooperatives, municipals, and investor-owned utilities, right. when it escalates to that level, we have a conversation among, I wouldn't say peers, because that's a really dramatic, but at least a conversation about how each, each group, each entity, each model is preparing and responding. And that has been very helpful, if for nothing else, transparency and communication to acknowledge that we're all part of one industry and keeping the lights on as our job, period. Now, that's on a national level. Regionally, um, certainly, we also operate under the APPA NRECA agreement. And some of our members within the last few weeks have indicated that they would like a stronger, more detailed Mm. agreement at the state or regional level, which has its own challenges that we don't have time to get into right now. But in terms of investor-owned utilities, our neighbor to the South Southern Company, interestingly enough, one of their executives used to be an executive at TVA, 
And during a storm reached out to us and said, look, you know, even amongst all the Southern company resources, you guys are closer geographically. What can you do for us? And we have limitations and distribution and transmission and things like that. But because of these relationships that have been established, and that's what this is all about is relationships. Um, that eases some of the points of negotiation that we may have to come to because of those differences that Amy was alluding to between um, the structure and even the terminology that an investor-owned utility might have versus a municipal or a cooperative. That's that's a great summary. And I think, you know, um, we have certainly noticed that, you know, and I've noticed it in my time at APPA previously, and then when I've come back and how much we're sort of pan industry working together and sort of these big national or, or big regional kind of response efforts. And as you said, it's about relationships. It's, it's about communication. It's also about leveraging each other's strengths and, you know, and leveraging the federal governments and state government strengths when we need to, um, and just to, to get the lights back on more quickly. Uh, so thank you all. I, I think we're going to have to end, um, but I, maybe I'll just ask you for any party words that you don't, is there, if there's a, a burning point that you didn't hit on, that you want to hit on, we can just do that in a, a few quick seconds and then we'll we'll say goodbye, but this is not the end of the conversation. Uh, please reach out to either of these ladies or APPA if you have additional questions, but why do you guys have the last word? Let's go with um, Amy, then Danette. Thanks, Joy, um, and thanks for, thanks for doing this. It was great to be a part of it. I would just add one last thing, and that is on the customers. And the customers' expectations have changed substantially over the years. And, and now they require instantaneous information and constant information. And so it's so imperative when you do find yourself in a mutual aid situation that you communicate often and you communicate um, accurately to your customers on what's going on. Tell them about the crews that are in, tell them about your damage, show them the pictures, show them where the crews are working and communicate that continuously. That's been a, a really strong lesson that we've learned um, the way we communicate now with our customers versus how we did it 20 years ago is just substantially different. That is such a great point. Thanks, Amy, for mentioning that. Jeanette? Well, I too would thank you for the opportunity. As I'm sure you have all figured out, this is one of my passion topics. So I would talk all day on it, although no one wants that. <laughs> but um, in addition to what Amy said about communication, um, I will go back to a point I made earlier about those um, organizations that have not been impacted yet, and perhaps their plan is dusty. And perhaps as part of the pandemic this last year, it got dusted off for different reasons. But what we discovered as a result of the pan pandemic in the last year is when you layer other incidents on top of natural disaster events, you really need a depth and preparedness to respond to any number of scenarios so if you have not picked up that process manual in a while, I urge you to do that. And, and you may get a, a smile out of some of the things that are in there that are updated, either from a technology or a contact or your own network standpoint. So that, that's just my, in addition to being prepared to communicate with your customers and over communicate with your customers differently is to think internally about how to build a different team and a more resilient and lasting response plan. 
That is such a great point. And, and as I mentioned earlier, and I'll reiterate again, in the vein of communication, we, there are resources available to you when you're doing that dusting off or, or just it, even if you are very savvy, but you just have a, a small question, um, you know, these two ladies are great resources. We have folks here at APPA who can help and just again, look forward to actually, I don't look forward to having to do mutual aid this year. Let's have none. Um, but in the event that there is something, we will we will be as prepared as we possibly can and look forward to to that to that preparedness and take care and have a wonderful day, ladies. 